Welcome to Changing the Rules, a weekly podcast about people who are living their best lives and advice on how you can achieve that too. Join us with your lively host, Ray Lowe, better known as the luckiest guy in the world. Hi, everybody. This is Ray Lowe, and welcome to Changing the Rules. You know, this week we're going to do something a little different. Uh, We also have been recording podcasts on another network, and we had one the other day that is just so good, and it just fits so well with the Changing the Rules network that I have to make it available to you. So we're going to be talking with a young lady by the name of uh, Marianne, and uh, rather than make a lot of comments, let's just listen to our podcast. Welcome to the Willow Valley Podcasting Channel, where exciting podcasts are created by Willow Valley residents, for Willow Valley residents, and about Willow Valley residents. And good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Ray Lowe, and I'm a member of the podcast club here. And I want to welcome everybody to our brand new podcast studios here at Willow Valley Communities. And we have an exciting guest today. All right, so I need to kind of set the stage for this because Marianne is on the staff here. She works here. Her her full name is Marianne Steinhauer. And I met her because she was running the concierge desk over in the North Building. And and she was indispensable to me. You know, first of all, she had all my packages. And and unless I behaved, I couldn't get them. And second of all, whenever I needed some, some information about where to go or where something was going on, she's the person who had it. But then the surprise came because I found out that Marianne has hidden talents way beyond what she was doing. And I found out, and I I don't remember how the conversation came about, and Marianne, you can fill this in, but I found Mm -hmm. out that Marianne pilots hot air balloons. It it may have been a reference to how I was so full of hot air, and I just jumped right on it. (laughs) Well, whatever it is, it, 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 it just changed our whole relationship, because mm-hmm. uh, I've been fortunate enough that I have been up in a hot air balloon. Mm-hmm. I've been in a chase car chasing around at other people who were in a hot air balloon. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to be at the Albuquerque Balloon Festival, where mm-hmm. 800 balloons went up in the air at one time, and the sky was filled with color, and it's absolutely spectacular. It's an amazing and, event. And, and then to find out Marianne here actually pilots one of these. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so let me ask you a couple of questions before we get into the hot air ballooning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hot air ballooning is only part of Marianne. Now, Marianne actually has a master's degree in elementary education. Uh, she has uh, a master's degree in library science. Uh, and she has been an author of a number of publications. And uh, the other thing that I found out interesting in your background is you actually took uh, graduate studies in folklore and folk life from the University of Pennsylvania. Yes, so I why did. did you do that, and what? Where did that take you? Well, I was just—I've always been fascinated with folklore, folk life, and also storytelling. And what a magnificent place, you know, to be studying that. Um, you know, it was just absolutely amazing. So I was, I was on, you know, it was, it was a graduate, it was a graduate program for older people because I had already done my other, in my other education work. And I just, I just lapped it up. I mean, I just got really, really excited. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in what, 
what people consider really important uh, to continue their their traditions and their their culture, and it's all through performance and storytelling, the oral tradition, and all of that. That is really, you know, I'm a storyteller, so all right. that appeal. You know, now we're going to have to do another podcast some other day just on that because yes. I, I think that whole area is phenomenal. And, and you know, everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. I believe you're everybody right. Everybody has a story, and the secret is to get it out there. And, you know, you're never going to get the story if you don't talk to people. Mm-hmm. And, and ever since I started talking to Marianne about what she loves and what she's passionate about, uh, it's it just makes me have more fun when I go down there. So thank you for that. And and let's start with a really important question. So why in the heck did you ever get interested in hot air ballooning? Well, it, the first seeds were planted back when I was teaching at the lab school at Millersville University. And I was with the children out on the, on the playground. And lo and behold, here through the sky, we see this beautiful hot air balloon. And not only did we see it flying, we noticed that it was coming toward us, and it ended up landing in the playground, at the playground. And I, of course, I had all the, the children were like all excited, and then I had to tell them, you know, you've got to really be careful about it. But I was beside myself. I was more excited than they were. And it turns out that, you know, we, we managed to get safely around the balloon. And what, what happened was the pilot was stopping to get refueled because typically, and I later on found this out, that you can fly just so long before you have to stop and get more fuel. And so they were waiting for their chase vehicle to come with more fuel. Okay, so we didn't know this, but I, I was just, I knew right then and there that I really wanted to go up in a hot air balloon. And I said to the children, I'm going to do this someday. And this was back in the 70s. Okay. <laughs> so, and, yeah. and, you know, you talk about dancing with the wind. Mm-hmm. And that's how you feel when you're in the balloon, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, someone just had, people always ask, like, how do you steer the balloon? Well, really, you are dancing with the wind. And sometimes, you you know, you, you release, uh, you, first of all, you have to check the weather. But then you release this, this helium balloon to see which way the winds go. But then once you're up there, you know, you can take a turn, you know, just because the wind says this is where you're going to go. And uh, I know with the British people, they usually have a can of shaving cream. And when they're in the basket and they're up aloft, they, they do a dopple of, of shaving cream to see which way it goes. Then they can tell which way the lower winds are. Now, you don't know about the upper winds, but, you know, you can start to climb and you sort of park there and you see where that takes you. Does it take you right? Does it take you left? Um, and I never had a can of shaving cream. I would just spit out of the side of the basket. <laughs> and well, that worked. So, so that's kind of how you control the balloon. You control it by going up or down right. and, and finding the wind that's going mm-hmm. kind of in the direction that exactly. you want. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why in Albuquerque at the Balloon Festival, mm-hmm. they have these two levels where mm-hmm. the balloons go one way at one level and they go up to another level and they go the other way. Is that what goes Absolutely. on? Absolutely. That's what happened. They are dancing with the wind. Incredible. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how does one get a license to pilot one of these things? Well, first of all, I spent a lot of time as a crew chief 
because uh, my my husband, Ed Helshi, at the time was very, very interested. He wanted me to take fixed-wing flying lessons. And, uh, you know, after the fourth lesson, when I had to stall the plane in the sky, I said, this is not for me. I think I would prefer being in the basket surrounded by this wicker, and I would rather be in a balloon. So uh, what does it take? Well, I did a lot of crewing, and of course, you know what that's like. You have to chase the balloon, and you have to make sure that you handle landowner relations when you're, you're on the ground, and also you're, you have two-way radios, and you let them know. You know, the, there's, there's a field uh, that, of course, they can see where the field is, but you sometimes have to clear permission. Uh, so I did a lot of, of crewing. And I would get thrown in the basket every now and then and fly. And I thought, you know, I can do this. And before I knew it, I had like 100 hours in the balloon. And I took, okay, what what you need is not just having the hours. You have to be piloting command. You have to know how, to, how, to, how the workings of the balloon uh, are. But you also have to take uh, a written test. You have to take an oral test. And just like a driving test, you have to take a test with an examiner, a federal examiner. Oh, my. In, so do you have to parallel park, too? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what. You know, one of the things we, we it's an absolute no. You don't want to land where there are horses, and you don't want to land in the middle of cows or any kind of livestock. Uh, this is not, not not to happen. And the federal examiner that I had for my my test, you know, my driving test. And no, I didn't parallel park. But he said, why don't you just land here? And I said, I'm not landing there. There are cows there. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And while, you know, he's talking to me about where I should be landing, he was testing me out to see yeah. if I could take off and land and do all that. He was messing around with the tanks. He was turning the, the, the valves of the tanks off. And I looked at him and I slapped his hand and I said, stay away from that. <laughs> Because, you know, okay, he's going to knock my pilot light. But he wanted to see if I was attentive to it. You know, if you have passengers, a lot of times they're touching all kinds of things. And that's a no-no. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what do you do when you land someplace like in a farmer's field? And you, you that's where you become a diplomat, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you have to. Yes. And you hope that your chase crew has already, you know, set. Of course, I did that a lot. But if I was the pilot, you know, you wanted to make sure that it was OK. And most of the time, people love to have you there. And occasionally we'd stop at an Amish farm and the Amishmen would hop in the basket and we'd, we'd give them uh, the second leg of the flight. You know, we'd, we'd let them fly and they could see their land. They could see their handiwork in a way that they never could before. You know, you are a storyteller, aren't you? Okay. Yes, I am. What a great story. And, and uh, you know, when I went hot air ballooning, the one time I was up in a balloon, we had a bottle of champagne with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, and, and a basket with food so that if we landed in a farmer's field, you know, we could, we right. could have like a picnic and celebrate. Yes. Well, yes. I know when flying in France, they really love to have the, the wine and the champagne. But you have to understand that if you're the pilot, there's no no alcohol from, you know, bottle to throttle, yeah. throttle to bottle. And you only have that once you land. Okay. And you have the food and the party. And I love that part of it, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so before we get into some of your adventures, mm-hmm. um, 
I, I know our listeners are going to want to know, what do one of these things cost? Well, when people ask me that, I mean, there's there's a, more than just the balloon. There's a basket and the tanks, and then there there's the, the, the beautiful artistic piece. It's called the envelope, and it's made of ripstop nylon and um, some fireproof, um, you know, portions of it where the flame goes. To answer your question, I always say it was like the cost of a car, like a luxury car. Okay. <laughs> a nice luxury car. And the thing is, once you have the basket and, you know, uh, you know your tanks and everything, um, you can fly with the, certain, with the envelope for so long um, after how many hours you get on it. And uh, over time, because it's heated up a lot and it's put down and, you know, there's a, it goes through a lot, um, it gets porous. And so, you know, a new balloon is real, like a, it's tight, like a new car. Um, and you could always just change, you know, just get a new envelope, design a new envelope. And that's another cost. But you also need a chase vehicle. You need a fan to put, put cold air in. Oh, wow. You need radios. Um, you need little helium balloons. There's all kinds of equipment that you need before you even go out to a launch field and start the inflation. All right. So so tell me, you had to design your balloon at least once in mm-hmm. your life. So mm-hmm. when you designed your first balloon, how did you design it? What did you put on it? Well, uh, first of all, we, had, we started out with a used balloon that had quite a few hours on it. And we knew that it was going to be good for us to learn how to fly and to have our instruction. But when it came time to actually designing our envelope, uh, my husband really felt that we were flying in Lancaster County. So he designed a, a map, an outline of Lancaster County, and it was a yellow map, and they had a red rose in the center so that people knew we were from Lancaster County. And then on my side of the balloon, I uh, asked that they do the flying horse, Pegasus, which is a beautiful white flying horse. And whenever I'd see her coming up over the hill, you know, people would see this beautiful Pegasus. And Pegasus is definitely a symbol of inspiration and creativity. So it it held a lot of meaning for me. All right. I think you're more than a storyteller. I think you're a poet, too. Mm. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's great. I, I can just see having so much fun with this. You know, first of all, being aloft is like it's quiet, you know, mm-hmm. except when that darn blast of uh, propane takes mm-hmm. off in there. <laughs> and and you just get these magnificent views. I You know, if if people that are listening to this have never been up in a hot air balloon, mm-hmm. you have to do this at some time in your life. And you also have to be in the chase car because that's an adventure, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. It's a lot of fun. So, so let's talk about some of the great places you've, you've been. And let me give a list that you gave me, and then you pick the one that you want to talk about first, okay? Mm, okay. So you were in Austria flying in a balloon. You were in Costa Rica. You were in Spain. You were in Japan. You were in Leningrad. And then who knows where else in the United States you've been, all right? Mm-hmm. So, so pick one and tell us what the appeal was, what the adventure was, and uh, be a storyteller and a poet. Well, let me tell you, I think, oh, my goodness. All right. You mentioned Albuquerque, and I'm going to tell you about a time we were flying in Austria, and we didn't have our balloon. A lot of times there's a network of balloons, ballooners, balloonists uh, around the world. And so if I would 
if if we would be invited to fly in a particular country, there would be balloonists who would lend us their balloons, and then they would come to the United States, and we would reciprocate. So it was a very, very nice thing. So we were in Austria. We were flying this particular balloon, and we were going over cows and churches and whatnot. And so I thought, well, let's see if we can just land here in this church yard. And okay. so we came through and landed there, and all of a sudden I hear this brass music from a brass band and I'm thinking where is that coming from I mean this is a church and out comes this band of Austrian brass trumpet trombone and tuba players and they are serenading this balloon (laughs) you know they were so excited and they said to us oh you know well we we want to come to Albuquerque (laughs) you know and I'm thinking yeah well we we we're we'll be at Albuquerque you know and I thought yeah right I will never see them and uh, so later on that year we were in Albuquerque and I was there early, early morning. We get started at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're out the field. And, of course, there are all these stands that are selling breakfast burritos and whatnot. And there's a, there are tents set up, and all of a sudden I hear brass music coming from one of the tents. And lo and behold, it was the brass band that greeted us when we were in Austria. And I, they recognized me, and I recognized them. And it was like a grand reunion. Incredible. They were. They said they were going to come to Albuquerque, and they did. They did. All right. Uh, we're, we're getting near the end of our time, but pick one of the other places that you've been and tell oh. some other story. Okay. I, well, I'll tell you. We had. I should talk about Costa Rica. Okay. Because um, we were friends with the Minister of Trade. Uh, of Costa Rica, and, who, and his job was to bring new businesses into Costa Rica, and this was a number of years ago. He contacted the ballooning company that made the balloons in the United States, and they wanted, you know, his name was Don Luis Escalante, and he was definitely interested in getting more flights from Florida to Costa Rica from American Airlines. So he thought it might be a great idea to have a balloon that had the American Airlines, you know, uh, logo on it. And, you know, it would be great publicity, you know, it would be really wonderful. Well, my husband and I and our girls went to Costa Rica on two occasions, and we were in charge of teaching Don Luis how to fly this balloon. It was designed, and it had, you know, the American Airlines on it. I thought this, but, I mean, what we saw while we were there. I mean, the people were so friendly. There was flowers and beautiful plants everywhere and macaws flying in pairs. So I would see things like that, you know, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is this is really fantastic. Anyway, we came to the point where the training had, had gone so far and it's time to do a solo flight. So Don Luis had to do a solo flight. Now you have to understand, he his father-in-law was also... Uh, had a a sugar plantation. And so we were flying and actually over the plantation. And I, you know, I said, Don Luis, you can do this solo flight. This is really good. You know, I was on the chase vehicle. Ed was there, you know, so there we were. And um, he's getting ready to come in for his landing actually on the plantation. And I thought this was really wonderful. And then all of a sudden, I hear the clanging of the the tanks in the back of the pickup truck. And I looked at the power lines and I saw that they were undulating. And 
And so finally he landed and the earth started to move. We were having an earthquake. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it actually happened at that moment when he was landing. And I said, Don Luis, that was a hell of a landing. <laughs> I could not believe it. So I mean, welcome to Adventures in Costa, in Costa Rica oh, and in ballooning. Wonderful. You know, we're going to do another one of these if I can get your attention later, because I, I the stories can go on, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, but before we sign off, mm-hmm. uh, your daughter is also a hot air balloonist, isn't she? Oh, yes. Our, my older daughter. The younger daughter never really cared for it, but the older daughter definitely took to it, and she's highly competitive. She actually competes all around the world right now. I mean, she's she lives in Colorado, um, but then she, you know, she was in Lithuania. She's qualifying for the women's championship. Uh, I think it's going to happen in Australia. You know, when you compete, what what does that entail? Because you don't have control over where the balloon's going. No, but you, you you do map your course, and you there's there's always a, a big and I usually like to show pictures of this. There's a large X at one of the fields, and the whole idea is to be able to get fly over that X with your in your balloon and toss a bean bag that has your balloon number on it, and the closest you get to the center of the X you're definitely, you know, the winner or you get your ranking. But there's also a hare and hound. So there's there's a, a, a hare balloon that leads the way and whoever can fly closest and land in the same place that the, the um, hare does, the hound is the winner, you know. I mean, so there's those kind of oh my. competition. I mean, there's all kinds, but... So who knew, right? Who knew? <laughs> who knew? So, so again, you know, uh, we're at the end of our time, and Marianne Steinauer has been our guest, and she's opened up this whole world of hot air ballooning to us, and, and she's available, stopped out the North Desk sometime, and, and if you're lucky, you'll see her. I do want to read one thing as we close. Okay, go ahead. It's called The Balloonist Prayer. The winds have welcomed you softly. The sun has blessed you with her warm hands. You have flown so well and so high that God has joined you in your laughter and then gently set you back into the loving arms of Mother Earth. There's nothing more to say. So, Luke, sign us off, please. Thanks for listening, and be sure to listen again next week and every week. Well, we'll have another exciting guest. I hope you enjoyed this. This is something we're going to do from time to time, and I think you can certainly see why our guest is one of the luckiest people in the world. So listen again next week, and Luke, sign us off. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules. Join us next week for more conversation, our special guest, and to hear more from the luckiest guy in the world.